I'm Christine Pilgrim and I'm going to read the first of three instalments of The Doll's Ghost by Francis Marion Crawford. It was first published in the Christmas supplement of the London Illustrated News in 1896. It was a terrible accident. And for one moment, the splendid machinery of Cranston House got out of gear and stood still. The butler emerged from the retirement in which he spent his elegant leisure. Two grooms of the chambers appeared simultaneously from opposite directions. There were actually housemaids on the grand staircase, and those who remember the facts most exactly assert that Mrs. Pringle herself positively stood upon the landing. Mrs. Pringle was the housekeeper. As for the head nurse, the under nurse, and the nursery maid, their feelings cannot be described. The head nurse laid one hand upon the polished marble balustrade and stared stupidly before her. The under-nurse stood rigid and pale, leaning against the polished marble wall, and the nursery-maid collapsed and sat down upon the polished marble step, just beyond the limits of the velvet carpet, and frankly burst into tears. The Lady Gwendolen Lancaster Douglas Scroop, youngest daughter of the ninth Duke of Cranston, and aged six years and three months, picked herself up quite alone and sat down on the third step from the foot of the grand staircase at Cranston House. Oh! ejaculated the butler, and he disappeared again. <gasps> responded the grooms of the chambers as they also went away. It's only that doll, Mrs. Pringle was distinctly heard to say in a tone of contempt. The under-nurse heard her say it. Then the three nurses gathered round Lady Gwendolen and patted her and gave her unhealthy things out of their pockets and hurried her out of Cranston House as fast as they could, lest it should be found out upstairs that they had allowed the Lady Gwendolen Lancaster's group to tumble down the grand staircase with her doll in her arms. And as the doll was badly broken, the nursery maid carried it with the pieces wrapped in Lady Gwendolen's little cloak. It was not far to Hyde Park, and when they had reached a quiet place, they took means to find out that Lady Gwendolen had no bruises, for the carpet was very thick and soft, and there was thick stuff under it to make it softer. Lady Gwendolen Douglas Scroop sometimes yelled, but she never cried. It was because she had yelled that the nurse had allowed her to go downstairs alone with Nina the doll under one arm while she steadied herself with the other hand on the balustrade and trod upon the polished marble steps beyond the edge of the carpet. So she had fallen and Nina had come to grief. When the nurses were quite sure that Lady Gwendolen was not hurt, they unwrapped the doll and looked at her in her turn. She had been a very beautiful doll, very large and fair and healthy, with real yellow hair and eyelids that would open and shut over very grown-up dark eyes. Moreover, when you moved her right arm up and down, she said, Papa. And when you moved her left, she said, Mama, very distinctly. I heard her say, Pa, when she fell, said the under-nurse, who heard everything. But she ought to have said Papa. That's because her arm went up when she hit the step, 
said the head nurse. She'll say the other pa when I put it down again. Pa, said Nina, as her right arm was pushed down. And speaking through her broken face, it was cracked right across from the upper corner of her forehead with a hideous gash through the nose and down to the little frilled collar of the pale green silk Mother Hubbard frock. And two little three-cornered pieces of porcelain had fallen out. I'm sure it's a wonder she can speak at all, being all smashed, said the undernurse. You'll have to take her to Mr. Puckler, said her superior. It's not far, and you'd better go at once. Lady Gwendolen was occupied in digging a hole in the ground with a little spade and paid no attention to the nurses. What are you doing? inquired the nursery maid, looking on. Nina's dead, and I'm digging her a grave, replied her ladyship thoughtfully. Oh, she'll come to life again, all right, said the nursery maid. The under-nurse wrapped Nina up again and departed. Fortunately, a kind soldier with very long legs and a very small cap happened to be there, and as he had nothing to do, he offered to see the under-nurse safely to Mr. Puckler's and back. Mr. Bernard Puckler and his little daughter lived in a little house in a little alley, which led off a quiet little street, not very far from Belgrave Square. He was the great doll doctor, and his extensive practice lay in the most aristocratic quarter. He mended dolls of all sizes and ages, boy dolls and girl dolls, baby dolls in long clothes and grown-up dolls in fashionable gowns, talking dolls and dumb dolls, those that shut their eyes when they lay down and those whose eyes had been shut for them by means of a mysterious wire. His daughter Elsa was only just over twelve years old, but she was already very clever at mending dolls' clothes and at doing their hair, which is harder than you might think, though the dolls sit quite still when it's being done. Mr. Puckler was a, had originally been a German, but he had discover, dissolved his nationality in the Ocean of London many years ago, like a great many foreigners. He still had one or two German friends, however, who came on Saturday evenings and smoked with him and played piquet or scat with him for farthing points and called him Herr Doctor, which seemed to please Mr. Puckler very much. He looked older than he was, for his beard was rather long and ragged, his hair was grizzled and thin, and he wore horn-limbed spectacles. As for Elsa, she was a thin, pale child, very quiet and neat, with dark eyes and brown hair that was plaited down her back and tied with a bit of black ribbon. She mended the dolls' clothes and took the dolls back to their homes when they were quite strong again. The house was a little one, but too big for the two people who lived in it. There was a small sitting room on the street, and the workshop was at the back, and there were three rooms upstairs. But the father and daughter lived most of their time in the workshop, because they were generally at work, even in the evenings. Mr. Puckler laid Nina on the table and looked at her a long time. 
till tears began to fill his eyes behind the horn-rimmed spectacles. He was a very susceptible man, and he often fell in love with the dolls he mended, and found it hard to part with them when they had smiled at him for a few days. They were real little people to him, with characters and thoughts and feelings of their own, and he was very tender with them all. But some attracted him especially from the first, and when they were brought to him maimed or injured, their state seemed so pitiful to him that the tears came easily. You must remember that he had lived among dolls during a great deal of his life, and he understood them. How do you know that they feel nothing? He went on to say to Elsa, you must be gentle with them. It costs nothing to be kind to the little beings, and perhaps it makes a difference to them. And Elsa understood him, because she was a child, and she knew that she was more to him than all the dolls. He fell in love with Nina at first sight, perhaps because her beautiful brown glass eyes were something like Elsa's own, and he loved Elsa first and best with all his heart. And besides, it was a very sorrowful case. Nina had evidently not been long in the world, for her complexion was perfect. Her hair was smooth where it should be smooth, and curly where it should be curly, and her silk clothes were perfectly new. But across her face was that frightful gash, like a sabre cut, deep and shadowy within, but clean and sharp at the edges. When he tenderly pressed her head to close the gaping wound, the edges made a fine grating sound that was painful to hear, and the lids of the dark eyes quivered and trembled as though Nina was suffering dreadfully. Poor Nina, he exclaimed sorrowfully, but I shall not hurt you much, though you will take a long time to get strong. He was always asked the names of the broken dolls when they were brought to him, and sometimes the people knew what the children called them and told him. He liked Nina for a name. Altogether and in every way she pleased him more than any doll he had seen for many years, and he felt drawn to her and made up his mind to make her perfectly strong and sound, no matter how much labour it might cost. Mr. Pucker, Puckler worked patiently, a little at a time, and Elsa watched him. She could do nothing for poor Nina, whose clothes needed no mending. The longer, doll, the, longer the doll doctor worked, the more fond he became of the yellow hair and the beautiful brown glass eyes. He sometimes forgot all the other dolls who were waiting to be mended, lying side by side on a shelf, and he sat for an hour gazing at Nina's face while he racked his ingenuity for some new invention by which to hide even the smallest trace of the terrible accident. She was wonderfully mended, even he was obliged to admit that, but the scar was still visible to his keen eyes, a very fine line right across the face, downward from right to left. Yet all the conditions had been most favourable for a cure, since the cement had set quite hard at the first attempt, and the weather had been fine and dry, which makes a great difference in a doll's hospital. 
At last he knew he could do no more, and the under-nurse had already come twice to see whether the job was finished, as she coarsely expressed it. Nina is not quite strong yet, Mr. Puckler had answered each time, for he could not make up his mind to face the parting. And now he sat before the square deal table at which he worked, and Nina lay before him for the last time with a big brown paper box beside her. It stood there like her coffin waiting for her. He thought he, he must put her into it and lay tissue paper over her dear face and then put on the lid. And at the thought of tying the string, his sight was dim with tears again. He, he was never to look into the glassy depths of the beautiful brown eyes any more, nor to hear the little wooden voice say, Papa and Mama. It was a very painful moment. In the vain hope of gaining time before the separation, he took up the little sticky bottles of cement and glue and gum and colour, looking at each one in turn and then at Nina's face. And all his small tools lay there neatly arranged in a row, but he knew that he could not use them again for Nina. She was quite strong at last, and in a country where there should be no cruel children to hurt her, she might live a hundred years, with only that almost imperceptible line across her face to tell of the fearful thing that had befallen her on the marble steps of Cranston House. And that is the end of the first instalment. The next instalment, The Haunting will be next week. <laughs>